In your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, I want to uh, share with you uh, this scripture. If you will, look with me at verse uh, 4 and 5. Being assembled together, meaning Christ, with them, meaning the disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you will, just go over to chapter 2 with me uh, in Acts, and I want to look at verse 4. Here's the result of their waiting for those days. Started out 500, 120 remained. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want you to share with you that when men talk about, and it is true, the 16 languages that were spoke on the day of Pentecost, I want to share with you that the Spirit of God is far capable beyond that. When Paul writes to the Corinthians a little bit later, he talks about the fact when he writes what's called the love chapter, he said, though I speak with tongue of men and angels, I want you to know that there are languages that are beyond the earthly realm, and they are spoken in heaven. You might be surprised to find out when we get to heaven it's not going to be English. It might surprise some of you. Uh, maybe it's Hispanic. I don't know. I love the Hispanic language, except they talk awfully fast, it seems to me. I mean, Taco Bueno is pretty fast for me. I, uh, I just want you to know, Paul says, though I speak a tongue of men and angels, I want to tell you that there are languages. And he goes on to that church in Corinth and writes, he said, I will pray in, in, with my mind and I will pray in the spirit. I will sing with my mind and I will sing with my spirit. Let me tell you about this Pentecostal design that we have. We believe that if you're fully baptized, you will receive a prayer language beyond the ability of the human mind, beyond the uh, ability of, of just the normal language. God can give us a language to pray in the spirit. And I'd I, I don't want to just get up and doctrinize that today, but just don't limit the Lord and think that just because Pentecostals seem out of balance, they might be the norm in heaven. I just thought I'd sow that into your heart. <laughs> wow. There's been a lot of talk about the Spirit of God the last few decades. It seems like uh, that a lot of people have concepts of it, and I want to stay biblical today. I want to ask some questions about who is this Holy Spirit. I want to answer some questions about that. What does he do? What does the Bible teach about him? Uh, why is he so misunderstood? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord? And I want to talk to you just about three major areas today. And again, I want to lay a good foundation for what the men are going to be doing later this month. I want to talk to you about three major areas. These are very basic, but they are very important. First of all, I want to talk about the Spirit and tell you that the Holy Spirit of God is a person with a personality. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a spirit being. The King James Version in that language calls him the Holy Ghost, but I want to tell you he's not a ghost, not in the sense of what we today connotate as a ghost that appears and comes and goes. He is the spirit. He is not just a force. He doesn't just have influence. He is a person. The Bible says that he's a person. 
The Bible says he possesses all the attributes of a personality. He has intellect. He has emotions. He has a will. I want to look at those just a minute and let you learn something about the Spirit. First of all, he has intelligence. John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I will go away. I will send another who will be a comfort and he will teach you. Let me declare to you that only a being with intellect can teach. And only a person that has compassion and emotions, we'll talk about in a minute, can comfort you. So here's a spirit that is a spirit being who is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So he is, has intelligence. Secondly, the Holy Spirit has emotions. He can be grieved according to Ephesians 4 and 30. We can hurt his feelings. We can grieve him. He can be vexed and he can be quenched according to Isaiah 63 and 10. We can reject him. And Romans 8.26 says something in the New Testament extremely important about the Spirit of God. It says he is capable of expressing prayers on the behalf of the saints we who are in the New Testament. What does that mean, Pastor? This Spirit of God can so know me and you, He can pray before the Father for us. Jesus is interceding, but the Spirit of God can actually pray for us being in the New Testament. The Spirit of God can take the human heart and the unutterable gushings of the human heart with the whole ramification of what we can experience. And he can intercede for us to the Father, Paul said in Romans, with groanings that will express the deepest emotions of a human heart. I don't know if you've ever been to the place or not where you have been so wounded by something or someone or circumstance till you feel like you can't even express it and there's just a groaning that your, your spirit can do. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit will pray that to the Father for you, that's a great benefit of being a twice-born man or woman. How many of you know that God knows all about us? Thirdly, the Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians 12 says that He distributes spiritual gifts to believers, but I want to share with you something that's important for us to know in this late hour. I've been in, in a Pentecostal church all my life. I believe in the baptism of the Spirit. I believe God can allow the human spirit to pray beyond what we can reason because we are supernatural beings. It shouldn't be beyond our scope to be able to believe that the Spirit of God can pray for us. But I want you to know the Scripture says He distributes gifts among the believers. But, according, but sometimes in opposition to what we've heard, people say, I have this gift, I have this gift, I have this gift, I have this gift. Let me be very clear about that. We really do not possess gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit gives gifts to men to be used for the glory of God as the Spirit will. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you that there are gifts of the Spirit that the Spirit wills to work through us to help somebody else or to help some others. We don't actually possess those gifts. They are His. He works them through us as He 
wills. Therefore, it's not our self-grandizement. It is not for our attention. It is for the work of God to be accomplished. I, I would be very careful about taking credit for something the Spirit of God does. Amen. And Acts 16 and 7 indicates that the Spirit would, allow, would not allow Paul to go to Bithynia. He would not allow. He, he's literally working in the affairs of human beings. He's working in the affairs of human beings today. The Spirit leads. He directs. He guides. He has a will, and he knows the will of the Father. And ladies and gentlemen, he woos us and directs us to the will of God. Let me give you some of the lists. He intercedes. He searches, he speaks, he commands, he moves in our hearts, he strives within us, he strengthens us in our weakness. He is the witness and the believer that leads us to truth. He convicts us of sin, he comforts us when we need it, he arrests the straying soul, he, he woos, he draws, he prays, and all of those are actions of a person, the third person of the Trinity. Christ promised to send us another comforter in John 14, 16. The word there <clears throat> means one, the same as. The word another means the same as. The Spirit of God sends us and he means the same one as Christ. He is a person. The word comforter in the Greek means paraclete. It means one called alongside. It's the same word as advocate in John Two and one. All this simply means is that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one, and they are in three different persons. These tell us that the Holy Spirit is one of those persons, and it tells us He is our aid, He is our instructor, He is our guide, He is our prayer partner, He is our comforter, He is a person. Ladies and gentlemen, I love the third person of the Trinity, the high and holy spirit of a holy God. He is a person. Secondly, he is deity, which means he is God. The Holy Spirit is God, an eternal member of the Trinity. How do we know that he's God? First of all, he is called God in the Scripture. Acts 5, watch this. In the New Testament church, Christ had gone. He had sent the Spirit. In the New Testament church, it records the sin of a man and woman a husband and wife called Ananias and Sapphira. They had sold a parcel of land, and they were giving it to the apostles for the work of Christ. And they declared the full price of the land that they sold. But in reality, they had kept back some of the price that they had sold it for. They had a right to sell it for anything they wanted to, but they claimed that they were giving the entire price that it brought to the apostles for the work of the Spirit and the New Testament church. The Spirit of God revealed it to Peter, and he said these words, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit of God? And the next verse says, You have not lied unto men, but you have lied unto God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, Ladies and gentlemen, it is important how you treat the Spirit because He is a member of the Godhead. Secondly, He is God. 2 Peter 1 and 21 tells us that the Holy Spirit oversaw the writing and inspired every word of this book 
from beginning to end. He actually wrote these words. It implies that he is God because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is a direct statement about the Spirit of God. He is God. He wrote the word. Thirdly, he is God because he has the attributes of God. Let me describe that just a minute. I hope you're familiar with these terms. He is omnipresent, meaning he is all present all the time, everywhere. Psalm 139 says this about the Spirit of God. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. That's, that's Psalm 139, 7 through 10. I want you to know that he is God. He is omnipresent. You will never put anything past God's Holy Spirit. Secondly, he's not only omnipresent, he is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. Isaiah wrote these words, he who has directed, or excuse me, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, who has taught him? With whom took he, meaning the Spirit, counsel? And who instructed him? And who taught him in the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And, should, showed, and showed him the way of understanding? That's Isaiah 40. Who has taught the Spirit? And the obvious answer is that no one has taught him. He is God. He is deity. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And thirdly, he is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. Luke 13.5 indicates that in him resides the power of God in the Spirit. Romans 15 and 9 indicates that it is the power of the Spirit that works miracles among men. The power of the Spirit, because Christ left to be with the Father, he sent the Spirit, all supernatural work among men, is the Spirit of God. Here's something important to know. In this late hour, when we sort of live with the idea of good old God, good old God, I know about him. Yeah, I believe in him. You know, he and I have this deal, or I'll plan on talk to him later, or something. We take some of the book and we decide we'll obey it. We'll decide we'll disobey some of the other book. Let me tell you something really important. The Holy Spirit of God can be blasphemed. It is a dangerous thing. Jesus warned in Matthew 12, 31. He said these words, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but are the exception of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It shall not be forgiven. And he talked about in this world, nor in the world to come. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a warning from the Word of God, directed from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of God. Be careful how you deal with God's Spirit. Why? 
because it is a sin against God himself. The Holy Spirit is deity. And there are certain laws in the spirit realm that God has drawn. And the only sin that will not be forgiven is that of blasphemy. Pastor, what is that? Another message, another time. But I will tell you this. You can reject him and reject him and reject him and reject him till you will no longer have a conscience. You do not get past the third chapter of Genesis where God said, my spirit will not always strive with man. You will not reject God. You will not blaspheme his work and his love and his reaching and his mercy and his grace that are new every morning to the ends of the earth. But in your spirit, you have a right to choose. I will tell you this, be careful how you deal with the spirit of God that draws you toward a righteousness. Be very careful. Thirdly, I now want to talk about his activities. And this is where I want to spend just a little time. What is the Spirit of God doing today? What is he like? What's going on? Here's what he's doing today. Many claim today that he is outpouring miracles as we've never seen all over the planet. And this may be true. I don't know how to measure all the miracles that God did in the Old Testament. To be honest with you, I don't know how to measure them in the New Testament. I do know that God is in the miracle working business. And I know that God, ladies and gentlemen, is working today. There are others that teach today the Holy Spirit is affecting the outcome of political elections and the progress of the ecumenical movement, and on and on and on about the affairs of men. I believe the Holy Spirit is doing the work of God even in this world. I believe it is God who sets up the kings and puts down the kings. That's why we ought to pray for our elections. That's why as Christians we should go vote. Say amen. By the way, we not only have spiritual responsibility, we have civil responsibility. Don't complain about how our world is if you don't go vote. Don't say your vote doesn't count because it does. Amen. You pastor, you think that we're obligated as Christians to vote? Absolutely. Absolutely. Go vote. Pastor, it's a long line. Go vote. Yeah. But, but watch this. Whatever's being said that the Spirit of God is doing today, on and on and on. Here's what I want to get to. What did Jesus say that the Spirit would be doing in this last day? What men say may be so, and I trust that it is if it's good about the Spirit of God. But I want to know what Jesus said the Spirit of God is doing in this last day. First of all, John 15, 26 he will testify of me. I will tell you this. The Spirit will not glorify men. He will not glorify the works of men. He will glorify the works that are of the Spirit because of Jesus Christ. That is the main work of the Spirit of God today. And everything the Spirit does corresponds to that activity testifying and glorifying of Christ the Lord himself. As a matter of fact, when the Spirit of God directs Paul to tell the church how in the New Testament to regulate all the gifts, he says this. He says, let everything be done decently and in order. 
that it might edify not an individual, not a group of people, not a special ordained people, though there's places for that. He said that it might edify the church. The Spirit of God is always glorifying and talking about and testifying of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, everything we do here should be centered on edifying and glorifying Jesus. Say amen. John 14, 26 says he's a teacher. He is teaching today. Of what is he teaching? He is teaching the truth about Jesus Christ and the Word of God. He leads us to know this book. He is a teacher. I will tell you this. If you will read the Word of God and you will pray and you will meditate on it, the Spirit of God will lead you to all truth. Do you know there are millions and millions and millions of people today who are living and have never opened this book? They think they know something about God. Oh, I believe in God, you know, something on and on. Well, I don't believe it's an old book that's archaic and on and on. I want to tell you something. This book was written by God himself, inspired to be written by the Holy Spirit, and it will never pass away. This book is declared to be eternal. Ladies and gentlemen, like it, love it, want it, or discredit it, whatever you want to do, you're not going to change this book, and every one of us are going to stand and give an account according to this book. And we can't take a pen knife as was done in the Old Testament and cut portions of it out. We can't even today say, well, I'll obey this part and not this part. Well, preacher, you just think this and this and this. No, what I think is we're supposed to be obedient Christians to this book. And it doesn't matter what you and I think. It's what God says. Say amen. amen. That's part of the activity today. He's a teacher. Thirdly, John 16 and 8 says he convicts. I put on the outline... This little dots that means there's more to come because I didn't want to list the entire alphabet. You'll see why in just a moment. He, he, he testifies of God. He's the teacher about the book. He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit of God is a conscience within each one of us. He is a conscience within each one of us. We have the idea today, well, I just what, what's right and what's wrong? Can I just tell you something? There's a voice inside of you, the Spirit of God, and you know what's right or wrong. You don't really have an excuse. Well, and we're showing today this, this mentality of uh, what he calls situation ethics. It's been around for about 40 years, that it's only wrong and right if you get caught or not. All that is is a trick of Satan to try to make you think you're not responsible. I want to declare to you because I love your eternal soul, and I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to go to heaven. You have a conscience. You better pay attention to it because God put it there. He's reaching and searching. He paid a high price for your salvation through the blood and the life of his only son and he's reaching to you today by the spirit of God with a conscience pay attention to it God's trying to make you spend eternity in heaven if you will if you will but he'll never force you he'll never force you amen he convicts so let me tell you the spirit's ministry to the believer is multifaceted listen to just a few that I wrote down he convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. What that means is he, can, he, he convicts us when we do wrong, but, but he also brings a conviction that we've done good. 
There's, a, there's, this, there's this, this was wrong and this was right. Aren't you glad that he doesn't just go one way? How many of you know he convicts us to good and toward good? He convicts us. The scripture said he seals us. He indwells us. He gives human being, the believer, gifts. He fills us. He quickens our spirit. He says things to us. He enlightens our minds and our heart. Again, he convicts us. He comforts us. He confronts us. He draws us. He works faith in us. He leads us. He cleanses us. When we sin, we repent, and he woos us to that and cleanses us. And read what small John said in the New Testament. If we, if we fail and we repent, the Spirit draws us. And let me tell you the good part, the grace part, the mercy part. If we fail and the Spirit of God convicts us and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, the Scripture says on us he will not impute sin. And if, it doesn't, if it's not imputed, it can't be computed. You say, Pastor, do you believe you can live a sinless life? Listen, I know I have wrong deeds. I know I have wrong thoughts. I know I make a lot of mistakes. But here's my, here's my knowing about God, the mercy and the Spirit of God. If I've done wrong and He convicts me and I go, Oh, Lord, that wasn't my heart. wasn't my intent. I failed. I'm sorry. God says He'll never impute that sin on my record. And you and I can live holy and declared righteous in the high court of heaven. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? We sing about the mercy seat this morning. It's so important. He enlightens. He teaches. He leads. I said he cleanses. He assures us. He puts a witness in us. He assists us in all kinds of things. You ever thought about how much good God does for you and you may not even know it? How many of you feel like life goes bad sometimes? How many of you know that life goes bad and it keeps going bad? You've heard it when it rains, it pours. How many of you have had two or three or four or five or ten or twelve things go wrong, keep going wrong? I'm glad you're in my good company. I, I watched, uh, okay, I'm, you're gonna, I don't know what you're going to think of this, but last night my wife got me watching a Hallmark film. Is it Hallmark? Isn't that all this ooey-gooey syrupy stuff all the time? Actually, it wasn't last night. I, I watched one, uh, and uh, it was a pretty good story. At least it's a good story. There's no filthy language. You don't have to worry about what you see and what the message is. It was a good story. And I like cowboys. I like cowboy movies. It was about a cowboy. Here's the story right quick. I just want to show you. Granddad had died, and they were there for the funeral. The mother, there, there was a son and a daughter, his daughter. So the granddaughter and the dad are there for grandpa's funeral, but the mother had died nine years of age. They found out after granddad died that he left half the ranch to dad and half the ranch to the daughter, and they hadn't spoken in nine years, which is pathetic. And it was a really pretty good movie. They were fussing, and here's the point. Who gets this half of the ranch and who gets all that? Come to find out there was a big indebtedness against it. And he, the dad was going to go back, and she had different plans for the ranch than he had. It's always been cattle. It's always going to be cattle. And he was still operating in like 1950. Guys, let me tell you something. It's not 1950. And we may not like to change. And there was a part of what he liked that was tremendously right. He believed that his word was his bond. He believed you could go to the banker, and we're going to do this and do that. And there was a lot of good in that day, in that time. 
He used to be able to go to the banker and say, do this, and they'd say, sure, you're a man of your word. He didn't have to sign anything, and he had operated like that all those years. But the bankers had left, and the people way up in somewhere distant state had taken over the bank, and they said, we're not going to loan you any more money. We're going to call your note due, and nobody had any money. But the daughter had new plans. She's going to put a big horse facility on it, and she had a big high-dollar racehorse, and she was going to do all this. And Dad goes, it's always been a cattle ranch, and it's always going to be a cattle ranch. And she was going, Dad, we're going broke. They're calling the note due, and everything started going bad. Well, guess what? He decided he'd get up every cow and every calf and every bit of breeding stock they had. He thought he had plenty. They loaded it all up and sell it. All he's going to have is the ranch left, and it wasn't enough, not anywhere near enough, and they were going to call it due. What in the world are you going to do? What are you going to do? And as if that wasn't bad enough, lightning struck the barn, and the barn all burned down. So you got problems with the dad and the daughter. You got problems with all the, and here we go. This happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And after the barn burned down, they were all emotional about it. Here's dad and here's the daughter. And all of a sudden, the foreman who had been there for 40 years to help dad, he got mad at dad and, 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 and dad and the daughter because they wouldn't make peace. And he finally got out there with such emotion. He said, our problem is not the barn. That's not what's important. The problem is not the land. That's not what's important. What's important is this. He grabbed her hand, grabbed daddy's hand. He said, get this together. Isn't it, isn't it sad it takes tragedy? Isn't it sad it takes tragedy? That, ought, that shouldn't be in a Christian home. That shouldn't be in a Christian home. But he got so emotional about it, he collapsed. And he had a stroke and a heart attack. And suddenly, dad and daughter are at the hospital. And the one that loved them both the most, who had kept them, tried to keep them together for 40 years, was almost gone. And dad was sitting there finally broken, realizing that what, matter, what does it matter if the cattle and the ranch and all that if I lose my best friend? And he starts talking about to him, trying to get him to wake up. Please don't die on me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He said, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And he starts talking. His daughter's standing behind him, and she realized why Dad did all that he did, and she misunderstood, and she'd hated it for him all these years. You might be surprised what good communication on your part and the person you're hurt at might bring. You might be surprised what good conversation might come if you just stop and sit down and not be stubborn and hard-headed about it. You might be surprised what the Spirit of God would do when He can come and reconcile. Can I just really be blunt as a Christian? If you're really a Christian, if you're really born again, if you're twice born again and you have the Spirit of God in you, let me tell you something. You are disobedient. You're not anywhere near what you ought to be. And if you still have a grudge against somebody in your family or in your life, go get it taken care of. And you say, well, Pastor, what if they don't reconcile? Here's the good news. They're not required to. That's their choice. But if you go, the Spirit of God says you'll be relieved from it. And you can live in peace. I know people by the dozens, if not far more than that right now, there are grudges in families. There are grudges between people. Listen to this. Here's what's amazing. They did me wrong. They did me wrong. They did me wrong. Here's what's always diabolical to me. You're sitting here full of bitterness and gall and bile, and you're just bitter in the world, and you're always talking about that, and you say you're a Christian, and you're filled with the Spirit, and you don't have forgiveness. You are so wrong. You are so wrong. You are so wrong. And here's what's amazing. 
you're actually allowing what they did to get between you and God. And you're the one dying. You're the one bitter. You're the one losing. And they're not even worried about it. Isn't this ironic? Pastor, why don't you bring all this up? I'm just telling you the Spirit of God works in every portion, every way of our life. And, and that old movie brought it out like here's, here's something. Well, the, the lady had drawn out all her plans just to show you. Otherwise, you got to, I don't know the name of the movie. I couldn't tell you to go get it, so I got to finish it, right? They, the guy lived and, every, you know, and turned it. And she decided that she would take this high-dollar racehorse and she'd put him in the races. She'd win the money and do all that. And I guess life was happily ever after. But I want to tell you something. Here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes Satan can stack up things against you like you won't believe. And this goes wrong, and this goes wrong, and this goes wrong. And you can, at, at about three Sundays from now, you need to be here because I'm going to preach a message on this. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'm going to give you, just touch it. Touch it. Sometimes everything that life can go wrong does go wrong. But I want to tell you something. I turned to my wife. When, when the barn burned down and they were all distraught and when the foreman all fell apart and everything was looked, they went to a commercial. And so I'm going to preach to my wife. And I said, I felt like that a thousand times. She said, so have I. And I said, but one, one thing I know, when Satan lines everything up to go bad, go bad, go bad, it's time to get still. It's time not to throw it away. It's time to get still and know that if you'll remain faithful to God, God will bring a blessing that Satan cannot stop. God knows what he's doing if you'll be patient in your life. You know why? Because the Spirit of God does all these things in our life. I got totally off my notes. Let's go back. He discerns. He puts pressures on us. He presides over us. He confirms. He puts fruit in our lives. He endows us with blessings. He prays for us. He testifies. And everything that He does in our life always points to Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. The Holy Spirit will strengthen you when you're weak. He will guide you when you don't understand. He will give you help to pray. He will empower you to discern the things of the Lord. Ephesians 5.18, there is a powerful admonition to every believer. Hear it. It says, be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice what a strange parallel. Do not be drunken with wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What is the Spirit trying to tell us about our lives? Here it is. Paul draws this parallel. Being drunk with wine means being given over to its influence. You are not in control. You do as it directs. And he drew that parallel. He said, don't be drunken and under the influence of liquor. But he said, be filled with the Spirit. Give the spirit, control of your life. Let him influence everything you think, everything you do. And this drunken, given over state of the Holy Spirit, hear me, if you will do the bidding of the Spirit, he will change your life. Pastor, what do you mean? If you are filled with the Spirit of God, he will characterize some things in your life. I'm, I'm going to close. You ready? I got just several things I want to say about if you're truly a twice-born man or woman, young person, and the Spirit of God's in your life, here's some things that will be in your life. Number one is this. You will be a singing Christian. 
Pastor, I can't sing. You will be a singing Christian. You will speak, the scripture says, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know why we come here and have great music and great worship? It is because our soul, through the Spirit of God, wants us, the Spirit of God in our souls wants us to sing. What are you talking about sing, Pastor? I'm talking about in your heart, making melody. The Spirit of God knows we get beat up all the time. Can you not come to worship and say, Lord, come and touch me? And the Spirit of God put a song in your heart and take all the bruises of the week and take the heartache and just come. And with the love and the mercy of God, we can sing, holy, holy is the Lord. Listen, there's a healing that takes place in worship. And we have a heart filled with melancholy. Listen, and even at midnight when everything's gone, the horses and the cattle are dead and the barn burns down and the, and the, the foreman nearly dead and all that, when you are bludgeoned and scourged and in, in a turmoil, maybe like Paul and Silas was in the midnight, I want to tell you something. I know I'm going to date myself here, but I've learned this years ago. doesn't matter what Satan brings. You can sing what a friend we have in Jesus. Parents teach your children. When doubt storms come and midnight storms come, teach them they can sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. You may scorn that old hymn and you may look at some of these old hymns, but I want to tell you something, they have real meaning in them. It's one thing to teach your children how to do a lot of things. The number one important thing is, is to teach them a relationship with God. The Spirit will keep a song deep in your heart. The Spirit will also bring a peace to you that He will give that the world cannot take away. There is a peace that the Spirit will bring to you. There is a joy that defies reasoning. You can have your worst day, and it can be the worst night, but joy comes in the morning to a saint. There's just something about it you will be a singing Christian. I don't mean you're going to get up and sing a solo on Sunday. What I mean is there's going to be a spirit of song in your heart. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit will minister that to you. When the doctor said, my wife not, may not be around a few years ago, blood clots in her lungs. Pastor, I don't know. I went to a little chapel in a hospital. And I want to tell you, that's where life gets real. That's where life gets real. I went to that little chapel. I was all by myself. had a Bible over on the little podium there. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had two young boys. I'd been in the ministry about six years, a little over six years. Built a new auditorium in a little town. I loved it. But I didn't know if my wife's going to make it. And let me tell you, that is a midnight. And you may think you know what you'd do and how you'd feel, but I will just be honest with you until you're there, you don't. But I want to tell you. What a friend we have in Jesus is a good song to know. I don't even know what I mean by that. There's a bunch of them. I, uh, I just know what it, how important it is to have a song and how the Spirit of God can put a song in your heart.
That's characteristic of being a born-again child of God. Secondly, you will be a satisfied yet seeking Christian. You will be satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction. You will give thanks. You will be grateful. You won't be arrogant. You won't be selfish. It, life isn't about you. You will give praise to the Lord. You will give honor to the King. You will worship, give worship to God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. For through, though your heart be heavy, He will speak in the depths of your soul. And you will know a fullness and a satisfaction and have an understanding that the world cannot and does not comprehend. This is a supernatural spirit and he can do supernatural things in your life. How many of you believe that? Mom and dad teach your children that there's always one place to go. Young people, there is always one place to go and that's at the mercy seat on your knees before the Father. He will meet you there. Amen. Thirdly, the characteristic of Christian, you will be a submissive Christian. Yielding to the Lord. I want you to listen to me. Everybody look at me. When you yield to the Lord, you yield your body, your soul, your mind, your spirit to the leadership of the Lord. How many of you are twice born in this room? You know that you know that you know your sins are coming. How many of you have the Spirit of God in you? To be truthful, then you die. You're supposed to yield your spirit to the Lord every day. Take up the cross. So enough with the selfishness. You're supposed to, in honor, prefer somebody else. I preached this a few weeks ago about the true greatness is about service. And I'm telling you, in marriages, Satan has us so selfish today. Ladies and gentlemen, we need help in America. Say amen. But when, you, when you're a Christian, you'll be submissive. I don't mean you'll be a pushover. I don't mean that there's no... Please understand, you will sing. And I realize I'm dating myself, but I've had this happen to me many, many, many times. I don't mean I'm taking myself out to eat. Dating. I mean, I'm dating myself in time. I just thought I'd throw that in so it wouldn't confuse you. I'm just really seeing if you're listening. <laughs> when you get to that place, God will put a song in your heart. It's important. You will sing. You will be satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction. You will be a submissive Christian. And here's what you'll sing. Let the Lord have His way in your life every day. There's no rest. There's no peace until the Lord has His way. So place your life in His hand. Rest secure in His plan. Let the Lord, let the Lord have His way. So I'm going to be so bold as to sing it to you. Let the Lord have His way. In your life every day, there's no rest, there's no peace. Until the Lord has his way, place your life in his hands. Rest secure in his plans. Let the Lord, let the Lord have his way.
years ago in the city of Philadelphia, there was a group of ministers all over the Ministerial Alliance wanting to have a revival for the city. All these pastors were in a meeting to discern who would be the evangelist they would invite for the city of Philadelphia. The men discussed many names. One of the biggest names they discussed was the name D.L. Moody. Many of them favored him. They talked about the great things that God had done through the spirit-filled D.L. Moody. But one in opposition said something like this. Wow, to hear all of you guys talk, one would think that D.L. Moody has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God had done miraculous things through him. But one pastor responded and he said, No, we do not intend to create that impression, but I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. I heard that story and I said, Lord, whatever my life is, whatever you do, make sure that your spirit has a monopoly on me. You know what that means in easy terms? God, above all things, I want you to be first place in my life. Because I'm going to tell you, the cattle will die and trouble will come and the barn will burn and the foreman can die. But I want to tell you something. When God's in first place, He will always see. All things work together for good to them. Not for everybody. To them who love the Lord. Who are called according to His purpose. And the Spirit of God leads us in that. So I want to ask you, have you, have you been ignoring Him? Have you put everything else in front of God? Is He a first place? Is He a priority? Have you tried to silence the voice of the Spirit of God in your life and go on and do things you know you shouldn't do? And tried to get your own way and won't listen to anybody? Or are you going to really come to God and let the Spirit of God direct your life? Because I tell you this, He has a purpose on you. He has a purpose for you. And the greatest happiness you'll ever know is get involved in that purpose. Everybody in this room say amen. Are you rejecting his leading? Are you quenching him? Are you just saying, I just want to do what I want to do. I'm going to live like, like I want to live. The truth is, you owe God the first choice in your life. So I have the last thing I want to say is this. I want us to make four commitments this morning. First of all, Holy Spirit, cleanse us. Second of all, Holy Spirit, fill us. Thirdly, Holy Spirit, lead me. And fourthly, Holy Spirit, use me.